it's good to be with you this morning uh, to preach uh, God's word. And this is this is a really wonderful text uh, that I'm going to preach this morning, uh, and you know, in Daniel chapter nine. And uh, but I need a lot of help uh, for this sermon. So what I'm going to do first is I'm going to ask God for help um, in prayer. Um, so if you would bow your heads with me as I pray, Father in heaven, I'm reminded right now of how, how weak I am, uh, but I'm also reminded of how strong you are, that, that your, your power is made perfect uh, in weakness, um, even if our voice isn't what it normally is. I, I'm grateful, Lord, for, for your strength uh, during, during this time, and, and Lord, this is a weighty text, and there's a lot in here, and, and this could get confusing real fast, and, and so what I pray for, Lord, is for clarity uh, this morning. May my words be clear. Uh, and, and may I pull out of this precisely what it is saying. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. We are living in the latter days of history. The end is near. In the Old Testament, there were many prophecies that predicted the coming of a king who would deliver Israel and rule the world. The Old Testament said that he would die for sins and reign forever. Some of this has been fulfilled. A king did come to earth 2,000 years ago. He did die for the sins of his people. The man who fulfilled these prophecies is, of course, Jesus. Some of the Jews during the life of Jesus recognized that he was the long-awaited Messiah. What they knew about the Messiah is that he would rule over Israel and the world forever. The disciples understood the king part of Messiah, but not that he would suffer. And this is why the disciples were confused when he told them that he would die and be raised on the third day. It didn't fit their profile of what the Messiah would be. The Jews were looking for a political leader who would push the Romans and their other enemies aside, and the Messiah would then reign over Israel making it a superpower. And they would have dominion over the surrounding nations. But the Jews were not paying attention to the passages in the Old Testament that stated the Messiah must suffer. Jesus fulfilled some of the prophecies written about him in the Old Testament, but he did not fulfill all the prophecies. While Jesus was fulfilling Old Testament prophecies during his life, he spoke of new prophecies that he would fulfill in the future. He explained that he would come again to judge, gather his people, and establish his kingdom on earth forever. As we stand at this late point in history, we await the day when Jesus will come again. This morning, we are going to look at a prophecy that preceded the Messiah's first coming by about 500 years. And this prophecy provides us with specific details that tell us of the prophecies fulfilled that are now history and some prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled. So the passage we're going to look at this morning is Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, and it's famously known as Daniel's 70 Weeks. 
Last week we saw from Pastor Dave's sermon that Daniel prayed on behalf of his people for their many sins. He prayed also that God would look upon their suffering for all the destruction that was happening in Jerusalem. And the good news is, is that God hears our prayers. And God heard Daniel's prayer. And God sent the angel Gabriel to Daniel to, to tell him what God's response was to his prayer. And so that, that's what we're going to look at today. Gabriel is talking here, and this is the response that God is giving to Daniel. So I'm going to read this text here. Daniel 9, 24 through 27. And if, if you're using a Red Pew Bible, it's on page 747. Please follow along with me as I read. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophet, and to anoint, anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with the many for one week. And for half of the week, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate, until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. This sermon this morning is calling you to seek to understand this prophecy that precedes the coming of our Lord. Seek to understand this prophecy that precedes the coming of our Lord. And I have three reasons why from this text. Three reasons why. The first is the general timing of events is given to us. In order to understand this passage, we need to understand the meaning of the numbers. And for those of you who don't like math today, I, I want to I calm you right now by saying that th it, this is simple math. This is not uh, E equals MC squared you know, type math. Uh, and, and if it was, we'd, Andy Kaler would be preaching or Jeff Anderson would. Because I'm not very good at math, okay, which is why I study theology. But we know from this prophecy, right from the beginning here in verse 24, that this prophecy covers 70 weeks. Okay, 70 weeks. So what does that mean? A week here is the equivalent to seven years. One week is seven years. So if you do a little math here, seven times seven is 49. And now there are 70 years, and each week represents seven. So 70 times seven equals 490. So this prophecy covers a period of 490 years. 
So in order to figure out the timing of when specific events occur in this prophecy, we need to figure out when this prophecy was enacted, when, when it started. The prophecy started in the year 445 BC, during the reign of King Artaxerxes. Now, King Artaxerxes, he was, he was the king of Persia during this time. And in that year, Artaxerxes gave Nehemiah the freedom to rebuild Jerusalem. Because remember, before this, the Jews were in exile in Babylon. And the Jews longed to be able to go back to Jerusalem to be able to restore their city and to rebuild the temple that had been destroyed by the Babylonians. So this prophecy starts in 445 B.C. Now we read in verses 25 and 26 when the first 69 weeks of this prophecy were fulfilled. So I'm going to read verse 25 and, and the first half of 26, and then I'll explain what, what this means. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the, to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. All right, so seven, seven weeks here. Now, that's, that's 49 years. Seven times seven is 49. And this was the period when the temple, the second temple, but the first temple, by the way, was Solomon, Solomon's time. Then it was destroyed by the Babylonians. But the second temple was rebuilt around 445 BC. And for 49 years, this temple would be rebuilt. Okay, does that make sense? Okay. And it says here, square and moat in, in, the, in the text here. And so seven times seven is 49, and that's when the temple was rebuilt. Then we read in verse 26 that, that after 62 weeks, now 62 plus seven is 69, okay? So after 69 weeks, after 483 years, an anointed one will be cut off. Now, I'm going to explain later this more in detail, the, the, the significance of this anointed one who was cut off. But I'll give you a little bit of a clue here that this is referring to the crucifixion of Jesus. So after 69 weeks, 483 years, he was crucified. And it says here he was cut off. Now, the Jewish calendar... In order, for the, in order for the calculations to work out right with this passage, we need to use the Jewish calendar because our calendar has 365 days a year. And every four years, we have a leap day. We had one of those this year. Now, the Jewish calendar has 360 days each year. So if you use the Jewish calendar, 483 years from 445 B.C. brings us to 33 AD. Okay, what happened in 33 AD? That was the crucifixion of Jesus. Because many scholars believe that Jesus was crucified in that year, or roughly around that time. So the, so the numbers here and the calculations fit, which is amazing. God is a very accurate person, as you might imagine, and he's very accurate in this prophecy. So we just covered 69 weeks, or 483 years. Uh, just a quick flyover here, overview. So we still have one more week to go. And if you look at 26b and part of 27 here, I'm going to read this here. It says, And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, 
and to the end there shall be war, desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. Okay, that is the 70th week. So I have a question for you right now. When did the 70th week occur? Yeah, well, it's, it's, kind of, it's, kind, it's kind of a trick question because the 70th week has yet to occur. This is still future. So much of this prophecy that we see this morning has already been fulfilled in history. And I'll show you how that is here in a little bit. But we're still waiting for the 70th week to happen. We're still waiting for the final seven years to happen. And this is where we get the seven-year tribulation. Have you ever wondered that? You probably heard as, as you've grown up in the church, where does the seven years come from? It comes right from here, from Daniel's 70 weeks. So we have a gap here between week 69 and 70. And the people reading this before Christ came probably didn't see the gap. But hindsight is twenty twenty, and we can see that there is a gap here, gap here because the final week has not yet been fulfilled. So I encourage you this morning to anticipate the fulfillment of these final seven years. Now we do not know the exact time when this will occur. For Jesus said, no one knows the day or the hour. But we do know that this prophecy was fulfilled in 483 consecutive years, from, four, from 445 B.C. to 33 A.D. And we anticipate Christ's return. We do not know where it is. If someone ever tells you or predicts when he's going to return, my advice to you is don't listen to that person because they are going against the very words of Christ who said no one knows the day or the hour. We, we should never make a prediction about when Christ returns. And there's nothing in the Bible that tells us in, in a calculation of when the exact moment will be. Okay? So that's important to note. So when these final seven years occur, the end will be very close. And this should encourage you here this morning. I don't know about you guys, but I, I've been watching, I've been following kind of the election here a little bit, and, and, and how couldn't you? It, it's all there is on the news. And it's, it's kind of, it's, it's really quite scary. If your hope was in something other, someone other than God, I, I would be pretty, pretty nervous right now. Um, if, if we look at the candidates who are being put forth, and, and we look at and we look at, just at, at the general direction of our country. This should, this should really concern us. Uh, but the Bible doesn't guarantee that America is going to be around forever. It, it, the Bible talks about a kingdom that the Messiah will reign over, that will never be replaced, that will go on forever. And, and that's where our hope sh should be. And that's an unshakable hope. And so if, if you're coming here discouraged because you're watching the news and, and, and people have no hope for the future of this country... I want to encourage you today that, that you must put your hope in Jesus Christ and his kingdom uh, that will be forever. And as we anticipate these final seven years to happen, we know that he's gonna, his return is right at, right at the end of those seven years. So put your hope in that. Anticipate the end and long for his return. So I hope this overview made sense. There's a lot of math here. The reason I went through this was to show you that the general time of prophetic events have been given to us. And this is the first reason why you must seek to understand this prophecy that precedes the coming of our Lord. That's the first reason why. The second reason why is that Christ died for sinners according 
to this prophecy. Christ died for sinners, according to this prophecy. In verse 24, the prophecy says there will be an end to sin for the people of Israel. Because if you look at verse 24, it says your people. And your people here is referring specifically to the nation of Israel. That the Messiah would atone for their sin. Now Christ's salvation has also paid for the sins of the whole world. And we see that in the Old Testament too. And we we, we especially see that in the New Testament. Uh, But this specifically is referring to Israel. Now in verse 24, it says the 70 weeks are are decreed to finish transgression. To put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity. And what we know from the New Testament is that Jesus, Jesus accomplished this. Before Christ came, Old Testament saints who believed in God were forgiven for their sin. But their sins were not yet paid for. If you look at, if you look at Romans 3.24, it said that God looked over their sins, knowing that a, a sacrifice was coming to pay the penalty. God doesn't just merely forgive sins. He forgives us in Christ Jesus who paid the penalty for our sin. And that's what it says in, in Romans three twenty three through 25. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And what propitiation means is that Jesus bore the wrath of God that the justice that was required for us to be right with God was met through his perfect sacrifice. And so as we look at verse 25 here, the coming of an anointed one, of a prince, is translated from the Hebrew word uh, Mashiach. And if you translate that from Hebrew to English, that's where we get the word Messiah. And we learn from 26 that after 69 weeks, this anointed one, this Messiah, will be cut off and he will have nothing. As it says here, after 62 weeks, remember 62 weeks plus 7, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And as I mentioned earlier, this is clearly referring to the crucifixion of Jesus. At the cross, Jesus was cut off and he had nothing. His, his friends betrayed him. He was, he was forsaken by his father. And this kingdom that the Jews longed that he would reign over, this kingdom would not be on the earth until he would return again. And so this kingdom was still awaiting. So he did really have nothing. So you can see from this prophecy that it was foretold that the Messiah would come and Jesus came that there would be atonement for sin, and Jesus accomplished that at Calvary through his sacrificial death at the cross. So that's the second reason why you must seek to understand this prophecy. As we see that this prophecy, remember I said this prophecy was given around 500 BC or so, roughly. This is, about, this is over 500 years before Christ came to earth. Now, it's not prophecy it's history because it was fulfilled but now we're going to look at what hasn't yet been fulfilled and that's verses 26 and 27 so the, the third reason why you must seek to understand this prophecy 
that precedes the coming of our Lord is the coming of the beast is foretold. The coming of the beast is foretold. I'm going to start here at 26b, and then I'm going to read through 27 here. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. So there is a gap between the 69th week and the 70th week. And as I mentioned before, we are awaiting the final seven years of this prophecy. In order to understand this future prophecy, we need to find the identity of two different groups here. The first is the identity of the prince. And the second is the identity of the people of the prince. The prince here is the beast described in Revelation chapter 13. Uh, some call him the Antichrist. We know this because Jesus spoke about this man in, in the text that was read this morning in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. Jesus said, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of, by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Right, so the Antichrist is going to one day be standing in the holy place, which is the Holy of Holies, which was located in the temple in Jerusalem. He's going to stand there and proclaim himself to be God. And Jesus calls him the abomination of desolation. He uses the same words as Daniel. If you look at verses 26 and 27... It says here that its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And then the end of verse 27 says, And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate, until the, the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. So when Jesus says the abomination of desolation, he is referring to, to this man here in Daniel chapter 9. So I hope the, the pieces of the puzzle are kind of coming together here this morning. And Jesus speaks about this man standing in the temple, and, and I'm going to talk about here in, in a brief moment this, this final end times temple. And, and it's, it's actually quite interesting, too, I, I promise you. <laughs> but in order to understand the people of the prince, we need to understand who the fourth kingdom of Daniel is. All right, there's, there's five kingdoms in the book of Daniel. And, and Pastor Dave has, has preached on this already. In, in, in Daniel chapter 2, uh, the, the, the identity of these kingdoms are the Babylonian kingdom, the Medo-Persia kingdom, the, the Greco-Macedonian kingdom. There's a debate on the fourth kingdom. I'm not going to say that yet. But the fifth kingdom, there's no debate, and that's the kingdom of God, the, the one where Christ will reign over this kingdom forever. Okay, But the fourth kingdom, there is some debate on. Many scholars, and actually the majority of scholars, believe that the fourth kingdom is the Roman Empire. And that's because in 70 AD, the temple was destroyed in Jerusalem. And by the way, that's in this text here. It says, the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The sanctuary here is, is the temple. So, so the people of the prince 
destroyed this temple. And this was fulfilled historically in 70 AD. And the Romans were the ones who destroyed this temple. And so people think, okay, well, the people of the prince, that must be Rome. That must be the Roman Empire. And so the prince, this Antichrist, must be a Roman ruler. You understand the logic there? That's, that's, what, that's what they're thinking. But th- there's a little bit of, of a clue here that it might not have been the Romans here that, 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 that's, that's being referred to. That's because the Roman historian Tacitus writes about Arabs from the Middle East who were recruited by the Romans and the people who destroyed the temple in Jerusalem, while they were recruited by the Romans, they weren't themselves Romans. They were Arabs. And later in history, in about 610 AD, the religion of Islam started. Okay? And of course, the religion of Islam started by, was started by the people of, of Arabs. So, the reasoning goes that, that the people of the prince here is not the Roman Empire, and, and the prince here is not a Roman ruler, but the kingdom here is the Islamic Caliphate, and its ruler is an Islamic Antichrist. And, and the reason why this is, this is interesting is because if you put the Antichrist described in the Bible and you put the Antichrist described in Islamic eschatology next to each other, they, they mirror each other. They look very similar, the characteristics that are described. And so it makes you wonder. And so I'm not going to tell you this morning which one to believe. I, I personally believe that it, it is the Islamic Caliphate. And if you look at how big Islam is in the world today, it can be easy to believe that, that they are uh, the fourth kingdom mentioned here in Daniel. So you decide, um, it's, but it's, 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 likely gonna be, it's likely the Roman Empire or it's the Islamic Caliphate. And so the Antichrist is either a Roman ruler or he is an Islamic ruler. Uh, known as the Mahdi, by the way. Okay, so after all of that, we're going to finish up this morning. And by the way, thank you for staying with me. This is a lot. There's a lot of the history, math, prophecy. There's a lot going on here today. Um, let's finish by talking about the final temple. The final temple. In this passage, in verse 24, it says that 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city. And at the end of verse 24, it says, to anoint a most holy place. And this refers to the Holy of Holies. In the temple in Jerusalem, there is a place in there where the, whole, where, only, where the priest could only go in once a year. And it was the most holy place, and it was called the Holy of Holies. So that's what that is referring to. Now in history, there have been two temples. Solomon's temple that was promised to David, that's, that, that was built in Solomon's lifetime. And the temple that was built, that was rebuilt by Nehemiah, and Ezra and, 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 those, and those people um, in the 5th century B.C. Now we await a third temple to be built that will be more spectacular than the previous two. And this most holy place here that's mentioned in verse 24 will either be set up at the end of the 70th week or after it. Okay, so, so after Christ's return. And so you may be wondering, well, well, how can the Antichrist stand in this temple during the tribulation and proclaim himself to be God if the temple is not yet built? Well, that's because 
the temple, I'm going to argue to you right now, in this text is actually a false temple that the Antichrist allows to be built during his time and that will also, and that will also be destroyed. Because if you look at Ezekiel in the Old Testament, in chapters 40 through 48, it describes in detail this magnificent temple, like nothing the world has ever seen before. And I was having a conversation with one of my Old Testament professors this week, and he was saying that that temple will be constructed at the beginning of the millennium, and Jesus is going to be the one. He's going to oversee the building of that temple. And so when you read that, you're like, okay, that makes sense. I, because it doesn't seem like the, the Jews, especially by the fact that right now, it, Muslims control the, the Temple Mount in, in Jerusalem. Uh, the Dome of the Rock is currently there. It doesn't seem possible that this amazing temple could be built. But it, but it does make sense that maybe a smaller temple um, could be built. So, there, so I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm arguing to you that this, this, this temple here described in Daniel 9 is not the 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 temple described in Ezekiel chapters 40 through 48. So anyway, this leader here, this prince who is to come, that's described in verse 26, I believe to be the Islamic Messiah, and he's going to make a covenant here. It says he, he makes a strong covenant with the many for one week. And we know from the math we did earlier that one week is seven years. So he's making a covenant for seven years. And this covenant involves them rebuilding a temple and offering sacrifices again. Right now, the Jew Jewish people, they don't offer sacrifices because they don't have a temple. The temple region, the temple area is dominated by Muslims. And that's why they want to rebuild the temple, because they want to continue doing sacrifices again. And this final ruler, it, this man is going to let them rebuild the temple. And he's going to let them offer sacrifices. And this is the covenant that he makes with them. But halfway through the seven years, he's going to break this covenant. And his true colors are going to show, as we read here. And for half of the week, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate. This man is described in, in Revelation chapter 13, verses 5 through 8. And I'm going to read his true colors here. And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months, three and a half years. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints, and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of the Lamb who was slain. So in this temple, the beast here, he, he's going to desire to be worshipped. Because remember, Satan is the one who's behind this man. And more than anything, Satan desires to be worshipped. He desires to be in the place of God. Remember when, remember when Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness? What did, what, did, what did he say to Jesus? He said, bow down and worship me. And Jesus said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. 
So that's what, that's what this Antichrist do, will do, who is empowered by the devil. And in this temple, this beast will proclaim himself to be God. That's 2 Thessalonians 2.4. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. All right, so, so these are going to be hard times. And, and, if, and if you are here, here during those times, which you very well could be, these, these are going to be very hard times. Much, many believers during that time are going to be killed by this Antichrist. But there's good news. If you read the end of the prophecy here, we know that this abomination that causes desolation, his time is short. It's only, th- it's only three and a half years. The end of 27 says here that he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. All right. So the, 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 the desolator here will have an end to him. He will only be able to do horrible things for a short time and he will be defeated. And the New Testament tells us how he is going to be defeated. 2 Thessalonians 2.8 And when the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Okay, so this, this, this Antichrist, this beast, he's going to look really strong and the whole world's going to follow after him. And it's going to look like nobody can match up with this man. He's got so much power and strength and he's got all these armies behind him, and, and Jesus comes back, just like that, breath of his mouth, he's done, and, and Jesus brings it to an end. And what's interesting is that the beast and the false prophet, the false prophet gets people to worship this beast, and he sets up an image of this beast to be worshipped. They are the first two occupants of the lake of fire, described in Revelation 19. That's what it says here. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. Okay, so they're not going to be killed. They're going to be thrown into the lake of fire alive so that they suffer this torment alive. And so it's not going to end well for them. Now, you have received this morning much information, and I, and I thank you for your patience. This was, I've never preached a sermon like this before in my life, um, so I, I apologize for lack of illustrations and, and all those things, but, but thank you for staying with me. So, that was it. But this sermon's calling you to seek to understand this prophecy that precedes our Lord's coming, and the three reasons why is the general timing is given to us. Christ died for sinners, according to this prophecy. And the coming of the beast is foretold. So today we have seen good news and we, we have seen bad news. But what you can see clearly is that if, if you're with Jesus, if you're with this anointed one who is cut off, who brings an end to this desolator, your, your end will be bright. Your end will be good. So as the end looms, I encourage you here, and as we anticipate these final seven years and then Christ's coming after that, to prepare yourself, anticipate it, and be ready. I'm going to pray now. Father, 
Thank you for prophecy. You show yourself to be God because you know the future. And you, say, you state clearly how things are going to be fulfilled. And then we see in space and time how these things are fulfilled. And they're fulfilled exactly the way that they were pro prophesied to be fulfilled. And so we praise you, Lord, for your accuracy. We praise you that you know the future exhaustively. And we thank you, Lord, that you've, you've showed us the future in Scripture through your revelation. And we know, Lord, that if our name is written in the book of life, then we will reign with you forever. We will be with you forever. And so, Lord, I pray that anyone here who may not know Christ, that, that, that they would believe on the Lord Jesus and, and be saved. And for those who do, that they would long for his return. That, that we would long to be with him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.